0: From Vine Pair's New York City headquarters, I'm Joanna Sharino
1: And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal.
0: And this is the Friday Vine Pair Podcast. Zach, how's it going?
1: It's going great, Joanna. Like, getting towards the end of summer. love yes. the end of summer as a parent. Like, blissful school. <laughs> Soon, children out of the house. <sighs>
0: I'm so I'm so much more like you know seasonally and weather driven when I give my responses to this. I'm just like yeah. really looking forward to fall. Um, you're,
1: you're, are, is that your is that season that the number one season, season for
0: you? Yeah, that's my season. Yeah, I'm also because uh, I'm a fall baby too. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay, we are recording this episode a little bit in advance because I'm going on a big uh, Canadian adventure soon. <laughs> And uh, I will be back to tell the tales of it, you know, sometime down the road, In just in just in a few episodes. And um, but so we're recording this in advance, and uh, what we've been reading will uh, might be a little outdated by the time this airs. But we'll go ahead and do it anyway. So Zach, what have you been reading?
1: Well, I think the good news for me is that the piece I'm picking is about something that's already dead and dusted. So it can't be any more outdated (laughs) than it already is. Um, And, you know, one of our I think both of our favorite writers for the site, Aaron Goldfarb dropped uh, a very fun piece about my open bar, um, which I was tangentially aware of when I was because I was living in New York at the time when it was rolling. And I know that I like, I had like a vague awareness of it. I was a little too I was a little too, not too young. I mean, I was a legal drinking age for some of this time. But I was like, It was right at my, it was almost right at my alley. And that, like, anywhere that had cheap drinks was uh, something I was aware of. And I'm sure that people I knew were on this email list, but I just, Like, I think I just kind of like piggybacked because people friends of mine would be like, hey, we're going to this spot that has like, you know, eight dollar basically all you can drink for two hours. Like it was a wild time, as is recounted in Aaron's piece, which is called Drinks on the House. How my open bar kept broke New Yorkers drunk in the 2000s and (laughs) uh, very much took me back to a time and place that, you know, I remember fondly, even if probably moment to moment, it was a little less glamorous than it seemed to me at the time. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. He has such a knack for this type of uh historical recounting i think yes one of the pieces that we published recently that i really liked just because it was uh you know interesting to me was um the best handshake shots from bartenders Mm -hmm. there's something so fascinating about like handshake handshake culture yeah. Um, in in the drinks industry and hospitality. And uh, we've published a few pieces like this before that kind of explores this, but um, these were some recommendations from people in, you know, current bartenders uh, about what their new favorite handshakes are. So definitely a good one to read if uh, this is something you feel like exploring your next time at the bar. Um, a few of them that they mentioned were the uh, Meledian Mezcal, pickleback is obviously a classic mm-hmm. and uh what else the choke and smoke <laughs> which is chinar and mezcal so you know you've heard probably heard of the m&m which is um what is it mezcal and montenegro right yes. zach um but yeah so we have to do maybe we do a handshake shot uh episode sometime maybe we'll soon. Have to
1: create well besides the uh what was it the lemon teeter
0: the lemon teeter but we did the green tea shot yeah. Um, well, that's not a handshake but that's just a very popular shot
1: yeah maybe we need to make up the vine pair podcast handshake shot if you Ooh. listeners <laughs> if you have any suggestions podcast at vine it should ideally have at least three ingredients one for joanna one for me and one Aww. for adam it's just something to ponder maybe we can yeah. introduce adam to it when he comes back because i'm sure he's doing more important things than listening to this right now um and if not mm-hmm. hey adam we miss you mm-hmm. so yeah
0: all right zach so you have uh you have <laughs> thoughts about today's topic
1: i have a I have a complaint. I'm going to, I'm going to (laughs) complain. This is our
0: new rubric, everybody. Apparently someone, someone (laughs) has to step
1: up and complain. And uh, I guess that falls upon me. Sure. Which in this case, I'm happy to, I actually suggested this. So it's all good. I have gotten so sick of the chillable red discourse. I don't know. (laughs) Discourse is maybe putting it too strong. Just like this idea of like, okay, so it's twofold. One is, I don't really get the point, and I'm I I I get the point in one sense, and we'll we'll talk about why these are appealing or not. But like, so much red wine now is being positioned as chillable red wine, and I don't get it. Like, <laughs> there's that red wine should not be had cold; it should be had cool cellar temperature, sure. <laughs> but like, cold is for well, we'll talk about that. The other piece is, like, it's also gotten preposterous to me what some of these so-called sort of, like, ideal, like, chillable reds are selling for these days. Because when the chillable red craze kind of started taking off, it was like, oh, yeah, there's, like, a $12 bottle of, like, you know, generic Beaujolais. Like, it's probably better cold. Mm -hmm. So, fine. Have fun. (laughs) Or here's, like, a $14 Loire Valley Cab Franc. Chill it. Because, like, it's kind of funky and weird. And it'll taste less funky and weird if it's cold. But now it's like, here's a $45 bottle of red wine from Sonoma that you should serve chilled. Like, kind of miss me with that. But, Joanne, I think you are an advocate of chilled red wine. So do you care to defend yourself?
0: (laughs) Okay, I'm. Def- I'm not defending myself <laughs> for the know, category. I okay. know. Just I'm not a like the number on one. <laughs> You're about to go
1: on vacation. Come on. It's true. It's true. I'm
0: not the number one proponent of chilled chilled reds, but um, we did recently publish our best chillable red wines list on VinePair.com, and you know people really like this as a category these days. Yeah, I mean, I guess we have to call it a category because there are wines being created and marketed as chillable, mm-hmm. um, which I think is pretty fascinating um, and, and new. That feels new to me because I think in the past this has become popular, um, like you said, because you had maybe an, expen- an inexpensive bottle that was better chilled or you could chill it or drink it cold um, or colder than cellar temp. And um, and, th- and that was just kind of a fun way to have wine, especially like red wine in the summer or on a hot summer day or something like that so yeah i think okay i think maybe it's been taken to a new level in the sense that yes there are some very expensive bottles out there that are um i i only think it's an issue when they're being marketed specifically as chillable yeah i think it's less of an issue if it's just like here's a more expensive bottle that you could serve with the chill on it if you wanted to.
1: Yeah. I think there are two problems that I see. Okay. One of them is that, and this is not the fault of any particular wine producer, but like there was a sort of, I think somewhat misguided belief that like you could make a bad wine good by serving it cold. Okay. Um, yeah. And I think that came out of, that's where sort of a lot of this original trend came from. Like, uh, you have kind of like a generic ish bottle of like sort of fruit forward, maybe lighter bodied red wine, like just serve it cold in the same way that like, you know, cheap beer is much more drinkable, really cold than like less cold. Like no one's like serve your American macro lager at cellar temp. That doesn't sound appealing to anyone. Um, You want you want it as about as cold as it can get. And there are good reasons for that, and there are wines that even red wines you know I think this is certainly much more true with white rose et cetera, where that those wines like are much a lot of them are best when they're cold, like very cold mm-hmm. um, yeah. some are better when they're not so cold, and that's its own other story of like over chilled white and rose but I think the other piece of it is like it became trendy then, and now you see a lot of people kind of trying to capture the trend, even if I think like I think so rarely – I think it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, oh, cold red wine is, like, fun for a moment. And then you're like, but, like, do I really want my red wine to be cold? Probably not. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It kind of, like, eliminates a lot of what makes red wine, in my eyes, like, good. (laughs) It's like you lose a lot of the characteristics of the wine in pursuit of having it, like, cold.
0: Yeah, I mean – I think there's a time and a place for it, though, right? Like, when you don't want to actually contemplate your glass of wine, you just kind of want to drink it.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: and I might be wrong on this, but I feel like it maybe comes out of, like, the glue-glue trend. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, just this very drinkable wine that you're not—it's red. I would say glue-glue is typically red, right? Yeah. And uh, you're not really thinking too much about it. Um, and I think that seems fine to me. You know, I don't think, I'm sure our opinions differ on this, but, like, (laughs) I don't want to, I don't want to think, I don't always want to think too much about what's in my glass. I mean, I'm going to think about it, you know what I mean? But sometimes I just want to drink it Mm -hmm. and not think too hard about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's fine. And again, I think there's like a time and a place for all things, including even chilled red wine, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you know, there are like certain specific moments where you can sort of see its utility. Like, you know, someone who really likes red wine, but it's like at a summer barbecue, like, okay, maybe like a cold, but like, does a cold glass of red wine sound appealing even in that context? (laughs) Like, I'm not sure it really does. I think it's one of these things that like, you know, people do it and then they kind of feel like, Oh, well, you know, that was kind of fun. But like, I, maybe I'll drink another like cold wine sure other kinds of wine like the aforementioned white rose orange wine even mm-hmm. um, all could be perfectly enjoyable sparkling etc in this context you could have a cold beer cocktail etc I just think like so so much of what makes red wine enjoyable the the balance between the fruit character the tannins the acidity the body is sort of like lost when you get it really cold because we taste and smell cold things less and differently than Mm -hmm. when they are at different temperatures. And it's just kind of like, I don't know, it just feels weird to me to make your goal to be like, I'm going to make a very expensive wine that is best when it's served like partially muted. It just doesn't, I just don't see the point.
0: Yeah. Well, I get, I get that you don't see the point, but... (laughs) I do think, as I understand it, because Hannah is currently reporting a piece on this, um, that it is super popular right now. And a lot of winemakers are excited. I think winemakers, but also, um, you know, just wine professionals are excited about it. So, yeah. Are we drinking some red wine? Maybe we drink some. and also Yeah, I guess you... we should.
1: But I, I just want to make one other point, which is, and yeah. this is actually going to be true to the wine I have picked to, to have my, myself here, and I think is true for a lot of these, is, like, it has become a way to reinvigorate the red blend category because so many sure. of these wines are blends. Mm-hmm. And I get that from a producer standpoint. Like, if you can get people excited about your blend, uh, especially if it kind of helps you deal with, like, balances out your portfolio against some of your, like, maybe single varietal wines and stuff like that. Maybe it's an, and putting the spin of, ah, it's a chillable red on it makes it move better. I I totally get it from that standpoint. Yeah. I just, like I said, I think it's just, maybe I'm just, maybe it's just no doesn't appeal to me and I'm a curmudgeon, which is very open to that uh, possibility in this case. So what do you have, Joanna?
0: Yeah, I think you're a wine fart.
1: (laughs) Oh, good. I love it.
0: (laughs) Okay. I have Rhyme Cellar's Bag-in-a-Box Chilli Rouge which okay. is a boxed wine that is specifically made to be served chilled.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: this is on our most recent list. Um, and, yeah, it's uh, it's really delicious. And let's see, what does it have in it? It has um, some less common grapes, Alicante, Fiano, what else? Yeah, it was built to chill, and um, it's very delicious, I think, I, I really like it. It's very easy drinking. It's um, bright, and it's very fruit forward and very juicy.
1: Fair enough. I have from Leah Jorgens and Sellers down in Southern Oregon, I have her Tour Rain, which is a blend of Gamay and Cabernet Franc, two varieties that I do associate with chilled reds, one where I do associate with them. And, uh, you know, it's this is two, 2021. I think an important piece of this too that should be mentioned is like, I can kind of understand the deal. I think the chilled red thing has also given people the ability to both sell and consume red wine very young. Um, You -hmm. know, I think, again, a lot of the origins of this were people finding ways to sort of sell and excite people around Beaujolais in particular, a category of wine that, even outside of Nouveau, which is obviously extremely young, you know, there's a lot of young wine that's consumed in that category and putting a chill on it, maybe brings the wine into a slightly better balance, you know, kind of tamps down the exuberant fruitiness of touch and like, you know, brings some other stuff kind of gives it a different dimension or a different way of tasting it. And so I think like, you know, if you want to, you know, kind of a fresh bottle of red wine and, or box of red wine and chilling, it kind of gets it to the place that you want it, then, you know, that's fine. And obviously it sounds like with the Rhyme Cellars one, they're really kind of very much leaning into that and. You know that's great. I think bag and box wine is a cool thing and should be. You know, hopefully that helps get people more excited about it. But I don't know. I just I, mean, I like my red wine cool, not cold. I don't yeah. know. I, I'm what? just over here being being a fart. What can yeah. I say?
0: <laughs> well, I should say I um I misspoke before about what this was a blend of. It's Malbec oh, okay. Malbec Gruner and Vermentino. It oh, is okay. not the things that I said. But yes, it's a blend of, of red and white, which is also kind of interesting. But yeah, really okay, good. So
1: I have a question, one last question for you on this, Joanna, before we kind of wrap things up. So I think one of the reasons that people, the other reason that this has kind of become popular, has become trendy is not just that like it is different and that's exciting for people. It's not just that maybe it makes younger red wine more approachable, maybe all these things. But I think there's also a sort of um, either an outright uh Expression, or at least a sort of intimation, in these with these wines that they're also more food friendly, and I'm wondering if that is something oh. that rings true to you?
0: Huh. I don't know. I hadn't thought of that.
1: I mean, maybe not in the context of like a steak dinner, but in the right, context right, right. of like the kind of casual fare that you might be enjoying while having a cold bottle of red wine.
0: Yeah i I think there's something about it that feels more approachable. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I think there's a lot of like you think of um, luxury wines or the really like old wines, old red wines that you're supposed to. There's a lot of like pomp and circumstance around Mm -hmm. drinking those. And this is just this is not that right. This is the opposite of that Um, in a way that makes it feel. Yeah. Like you need less of an occasion to drink these wines. You can they're just kind of crushable and Mm -hmm. go and potentially go with more food. I don't know if that's true. You would know better than I. Like, do chilled red wines pair better with more and different
1: foods? Well, I think part of their appeal is that they, like, maybe allow for red wine to succeed with dishes or cuisines that maybe it's traditionally been difficult to pair with. Right. So I think of, like...
0: Because they're lighter-bodied, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: and the freshness in them is more evident mm-hmm. because, like, the cold temperature kind of accentuates the acidity in the wine. And, yeah. you know, often, as it notes in the piece, like, you know, these are best with wines that are relatively low in tannins. So you're not really, like, yeah. you know, like, I think about things like Korean barbecue or something like that, where, like, red wine, you know, more your sort of more standard red wine can certainly mm-hmm. succeed. But when you're dealing with fermented flavors and, um, you know, kind of some of the other flavors, you know, um, all the kind of stuff that comes into play there. I can see the argument for these kinds of wines being a a nice fit in that context and, and yeah. not just in that, but others. Again, I think that it's my point all along has never been like, you should never have a cold bottle of red wine, but merely that I think that, that, well, two things. One is that, like I said, making a bottle of red wine cold does not inherently fix problems in that wine, yeah. which is, I think maybe more of a, the thing that was espoused earlier in the chilled wine red wine craze and maybe is less a part of it now in part because maybe people are more intentionally making these wines that that should be served chilled or they believe should be served chilled. And I think the other piece of it is is that like I think part of it is just my own personal taste. That a lot of the times when in context where people are like, oh I would like a chilled red, I just would like other chilled wines. <laughs> like I would prefer yeah. white, rose, sparkling, orange, et cetera, as opposed to red. And and I would reserve the occasions for red wine to me to be times when I want red wine that is like, yeah, you know, maybe cool, but not cold.
0: When you were working in a restaurant, did you ever get requests for chilled red recommendations?
1: Very rarely. I mean, again, you know, this was, I feel like it's another thing that has been really over the last few years, maybe the last five more, most of all. And, and I think, You know, again, this would be a great opportunity for those of you listening to chime in because I think there are a lot of there are more restaurants and bars that are kind of leaning into this more Mm -hmm. that are offering. You know, they might care, might stock some of their red wines. You know, in and amongst their where they keep their whites and rosés and stuff, and might really kind of highlight it because I think the the chilled thing is challenging has always been a little challenging in restaurants because it's a pretty big commitment. I mean, it's not exactly true, but like once you get a bottle of red wine that cold. If you bring it back up to temp, it's like, and then you what like, it just isn't great for the wine. It's not as bad as heating it, but it's not mm-hmm. great to like chill it and then let it warm and then, or, you know, get warmer and then chill it again or whatever. So you kind of got to commit to your, to the, to how you're going to serve it in a restaurant uh, if you're getting it to the like truly chilled state. And at least when I was doing it, there just wasn't that much demand, or at least that I saw. Um, you know, there was more a thing for, you know if if there was any interest in it it was going to be like an occasional esoteric like a lambrusco or something like that oh, where sure, yeah. mm-hmm. you know it's sparkling and that's just kind of more an accepted part of the style as opposed to something that was going to catch people off guard i can't say that it never happened but i don't remember it happening very often but like yeah. i said that would be great to hear from listeners if you do have thoughts about you know if you serve chilled red wines as a part of your program how do you how do you do that uh, com is the way to reach us
0: yes um and zach um i look forward to you uh selecting another piece that you disagreed with um, for our <laughs> next on a real topic. streak here i like yeah, it. yeah yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah and i want to hear all about your vacation we'll have lots yeah. to talk about when we when you and i reconvene
0: yes that sounds good and um i will chat with you in a few weeks
1: yeah and i will be back folks with a special episode or two while everyone else but me is gone
0: <laughs> <laughs> sounds great
2: Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now, through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show.